What's up everyone? Welcome to the Decan Show and this is a series called Legal-ish. It's a series where we talk about all the legal questions that we have or you may have and we do so every week with everyone's favorite lawyer, Ahmed Oda. Welcome to your tribe. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Legal-ish with none other than our favorite lawyer, Ahmed Oda. What's going on? Hey, what's up guys? Nice to be back again. <laughs> as always, great to have you back. <laughs> We're making a home for you here. You might as well. You might as well just move in at this point. Hello, Reem. Hello. It's been an interesting week. We are not the same as we were last week. That much is true. We are not the same place. Um, that We're not in the same place that we were last week. No, we are not. We have a very interesting update that has been happening. We have been seeing the news articles, the tweets. Everybody's talking about this. The UAE sets out a legal overhaul for, of personal and family law, which is a very interesting new structure on reform. So to kick this off, Ahmed, we're going to be covering a lot with this one. So for our listeners, this episode specifically is not going to be answering all your questions. This is just going to be focusing on the new laws. So to kick this baby off, we're going to start with... Divorce and inheritance. There has been some changes on that front. So to give our listeners a bit of a, a background, the UAE government has embarked on probably what's considered one of their biggest overhauls in the legal system in years. Um, there's been a lot of changes to the family law and other areas affecting people's daily lives. And that was announced just Saturday. As we're recording this, it's Sunday. So this is fresh news for everybody. The law is effective immediately. They reflect progressive measures to improving the living of standards for the UAE. And mainly it's for a lot of the citizens and the expats in the UAE, which is a very interesting space to be in. So to kick this off, we, do, we're, we want to start off with divorce and inheritance. So Ahmed, what has changed for divorce and inheritance specifically? Okay, well, before I start, I mean... A lot of these uh, reforms have been have only been uh, issued over the the public uh, news media, which is the same media outlets where that we all uh, check on a daily basis. It hasn't been um, these laws haven't been put in you know uh, circulated with uh, the lawyers or the government, uh, so therefore they haven't been enacted yet, and we don't know actually what is being mentioned in specific in the laws, and when they'll be enforced. So that's important to highlight for people. I think that's great. Yeah. 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 So, you know, so don't go off and, and take any, any rash decisions based on the, based on the reforms <laughs> that, that are being uh, published right now. However, that being said, a lot of the reforms, uh, especially the, with regards to divorce and inheritance have already kind of uh, been in uh, practice for, for those, for the lawyers that are, that are practicing and, and know what's going on in the courts and what's changing as far as the, the, the judicial precedents, they'll know that the, these laws are basically precedents being codified and they're trying to sort of put those down in writing. Uh, so let's say, for example, with regards to divorce, uh, as per the law today or the precedent today, if a couple is married abroad they, and, and they decide to, to have a divorce in the UAE, they could apply the laws of the marriage uh, of the country where the marriage contract was signed. Now, that's not something which is commonplace. People don't know that. They think that they have to get divorced as per Sharia. Actually, it's not the case. 
if you are a national of a specific country and you've uh, signed the, a, a marriage contract in that country, uh, which you know the, the 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 laws of which do not conform to uh, the Sharia principles, then you could apply it. You could request the court to apply. You have to get the law translated if necessary, explain it to the judge, okay, and they'll take it into consideration. If there is um, if there is a prenup, a prenuptial agreement that was signed between the parties, the judge will take it into consideration. So what this new law is doing right now is they're just basically putting that down in writing that you know such agreements or or contracts that were signed abroad are going to you know be taken. Uh, uh, you know the people will the judges will actually look at it. Um, and it's good because it formalizes things, right? Mm-hmm. And reduces ambiguity between what's happening in practice and what is being said in the law. Right. So a question. Obviously, because the UAE is a Muslim country, the court system here follows Sharia law, right? So if if you're non-Muslim and you're married, you got married in the UAE, then that Sharia law does that apply, or would that be to your country of citizenship? If both, if both uh, uh, the couples, uh, the couple, the couple from both sides are non-Muslim and they got married in the UAE, as per um, you know, in their consulate and their respective consulate, then then they could apply non-Sharia uh, principles to the divorce. Okay. Okay. But if they went ahead and and they apply and they um, and they got married in uh, you know with the court, um, then then they would have to apply Sharia principles. I mean, why, but I don't know non-Muslims that uh, that actually went ahead and and, and got a, a Sharia base, a Sharia document. They usually do a consulate, um, you know, contracts. And now, uh, recent, more recently, they people can get married in churches in the UAE. Right. Mm. So divorce, divorce laws, different divorce laws will apply to them. So I hope that clarifies that new reform, uh, that new law update for everybody. Reem, what do you got? Can we talk about inheritance? Because this is something that I think a lot of people have, has, has always been confusing. So um, I think, can you tell us what the new law says with regards to inheritance and let people know what's the safest way to protect themselves aside from property? Because I believe UAE property, any property purchased in the UAE is managed according to the UAE law. But what about if you happen to pass away here? How does, that, how does your estate get passed down? So I will cite, first of all, what the article says in the national, okay? It says that a person's citizenship will dictate how their assets are divided among their next of kin, unless they have a written will. The one exception is for property purchased in the UAE, which will be managed according to UAE law, all right? And then it says in Dubai, non-Muslims have been able to register wills with the uh, DIFC and and probate uh, the wills and probate registry, which is linked to the government, but not in Dubai state-run civil courts. So... It's still it's still up in the air. We're not very clear exactly what you know what changes of the the inheritance law will will take place. But what we do know is that it in practice, if you have if you are a Muslim, and you try to enforce a non-Muslim will in the UAE courts, that's not going to fly, especially with regards okay. to UAE-based assets, not necessarily real estate. That's that's not going to be uh, deemed as acceptable. Okay, and the way people circumvent that is through establishing trusts and foundations, and you know all these companies where, you know, a a, a trust a trustee will take over, and therefore make it more of a more a corporate body rather than an individual body for the mm-hmm. for the assets. But that's a different that's a different case. Now, for non-Muslims, uh, there is already a um, a possibility for them to to register non-Muslim wills in the UAE. Okay. 
and uh, and get that enforced in the in the courts. So so basically, they just you know get out of the the whole Sharia compliance. Now, I think what the new law is trying to say is that if you have a non-Muslim will anywhere in the world, that is going to be deemed as acceptable uh, if enforced in the UAE. Okay. But then the issue of bilateral treaties comes into force, and we have to understand exactly, yeah. you know, what you know, what would constitute as a as an acceptable non-Muslim will that is done mm-hmm. outside of the UAE. What is, you know, what would um, deem it as being enforceable? That's something that we're not so sure about yet. Okay, so that's good to know. So we'll keep an eye out, and we'll keep everyone updated because I think it is something that affects a lot of people as people stay longer mm. in the UAE. That's interesting. And then they talk about suicide and attempted suicide being decriminalized. Okay, I just have to say in most countries, if anyone tries to take their own life and survives, they will be they will get prosecuted. But I think that because that follows Sharia law, doesn't it? That under Islam, um, it's basically haram to take one's own life to commit suicide. Right? It's prohibited under Islamic law to take your own life. So I think that was based on that. But that seemed to have changed because I think, you know, we're, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that now we're getting a much better understanding of mental health. And now it's being treated as, you know, okay, this is, there's actually a mental health issue here that needs to be addressed first. So, yeah, the new law is trying to decriminalize it in such a way where the the police and the courts would ensure that any vulnerable persons that, that might, might, uh, might have already might have considered attempted suicide. Might have attempted suicide. They would receive mental health support as opposed to being punished, which is good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's a that's a very progressive, and hopefully, it'll be implemented properly. And then comes Absolutely. harassment. Yeah, and then we have harassment and assault. So, uh, I suppose here that the this is more regards to the protection of uh, the rights of women so there'll be no longer a distinction of crimes known as honor crimes where the male relative can get a lighter sentence for assaulting a female relative under the guise of protecting honor so that's going to be that's no longer going to be uh, a a veil in which a, a male relative could hide behind so these these incidents will be treated as crimes as per the penal code it's just like any other any other assault which is awesome. It's a huge stride for it's a huge stride for the actual, you know, codified it's codifying in the law what I believe has been the practice here for a while because when I see what I've experienced living in the UAE, this isn't something that comes to the fore a lot or am I wrong? I just don't interact I don't in my experience I haven't really known that the issue of honor crimes is something that's recent in the UAE. Am I wrong about that, Ahmed? No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, honor crimes are traditionally tribal. Uh, they right. they happen a lot in sort of you know areas that are very far away from the city and uh, where you know you you have a, a smaller populations of people. Where everybody knows each other, and you know everyone's up in each other's business, and that's when things yeah. might get heated um, with the communities. Here, they also mentioned something interesting. And they say that there'll be tougher punishments for men who subject women to harassment of any kind, uh, like street harassment or stalking. Now, this is a, something that's already, you know, being put, uh, being put in practice, but it's good that they kind of reiterate yeah. in some way. Yeah, I remember, I remember I used to hear about this one specifically from my dad since I was a kid growing up here. So my, my dad's one of those old school gentlemen that are just, everything needs to be done by the book of law, you know? and 
this was one of those things where it's like, don't talk to any woman on the street. Don't harass anybody. You know, you can go to jail for that. And he'll build these like horror stories of, I don't know if they were made up or really happened, but about, you know, what happened to people who talk to random women on the street or harass them or do anything. So like he created this monster of this scenario because he, it was one of those things where like, just don't ever, don't dare to do that. But, and you'd see it. I think, you know, I remember seeing it happening in certain places, like in malls or in public places where guys try to harass any of the girls it's not the mall security that'll show up. Police officers will show up, you know? So it's, it's been in effect for many years. I remember seeing this in the UAE before. That's true. The next thing is alcohol consumption mm-hmm. is no longer considered as a criminal offense for, for anyone, Muslims or non-Muslims alike, which is amazing because we all know that even Muslims drink um, in the UAE despite the fact that they are not allowed to, as per the law, and they're not allowed to even mm-hmm. acquire alcohol licenses. So that's something which is, you know, it's great because it kind of grounds the, the country to actually what's happening, you know, in practice. That, yes, right. people, people of all nationalities and, and religions like to drink. And, you know, you, you, you shouldn't have a law that just restricts, you know, a certain, a certain type of religion or people to, for, from drinking just because a religion says so. And that's uh, very progressive of them to, to, to say that. However, <laughs> there's always however. <laughs> if you're, there's always a but. Um, but anybody that does commit a crime whilst under the influence will still be prosecuted uh, accordingly, right? So if you, yeah. if you commit a crime, um, you know, if you drive under the influence or you're, you know, you hit somebody yeah. in the influence, that, you know, that would be taken into consideration and you might be penalized accordingly. So really the change is that as a Muslim, you're not going to get penalized for drinking. But my guy, if you get into a fight or DUI or any kind of reckless endangerment, that will be added to whatever case you're being um, charged with. Exactly. The one thing that people were always afraid of here is that like, oh, I have alcohol in my home. Will I get, you know, yeah. will I get into trouble for drinking in my own home? And mm-hmm. that was something that was, you know, sort of on everybody's minds and, you know, worrying them. Even even if they didn't, they're, they're non-Muslim. If just the fact that they didn't have an alcohol license, you know, that's uh, that's something that people don't need to be concerned about anymore. One thing that that is unclear is whether Muslims could uh, legally purchase alcohol without a license. Yeah. Now this is something that a, an official from the MMI, um, an African Eastern, I think I'm not so sure which one, they, you know, mentioned that there was no there was no circular issued by the government. So allowing them to to sell alcohol to uh, to Muslims or non-licensed holders, so that's something that is mm-hmm. yet to be seen. In Abu Dhabi, they issued a new li- they they issued a new uh, I think circular saying that any resident can purchase alcohol, doesn't matter. Right. But in okay. Dubai, it's not yet not yet the case. Okay, noted. Lastly, cohabitation oh, yeah. for unmarried couples, which is a hot topic, but again, it's it's a it's a very practical and it and it grounds the the, the country to to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, today and the, what is the reality is a lot of people are living um, unmarried couples living together and uh, this is um, this is a natural order of things being a progressive country and in, in, in the way that it um, operates so the fact that you're allowing you know a legal cohabitation of unmarried couples is fantastic how that's going to respect yeah. to, to reflect on the Ijari documents and lease agreements we're not so sure yet but I'm sure this can be more relaxed this is something that we got to keep an eye out for. I feel like we're, we might be hearing some more news on that and to how it does come to play, whether 
you can have multiple names on your lease or on your title deed in that sense, right? I think I think it's a time of great change. And I feel like we are, like I said, we're in a better place than we were last week, in my opinion. So uh, great strides for women's rights and great strides for just bringing um, everything closer to the ground, what's actually happening on the ground. And I think that's wonderful, you know. Um, I think we have questions from our listeners that we might be able to get into real quick. If Ahmed's go got for the... It. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, <laughs> OTOT, I think you have the first one. All right. So let's kick off with this one. I am writing in regards to recover, uh, to recover my 160,000 dirhams from a person in Dubai. I had transferred her the amount through my bank account, so I have proof. Also, I have WhatsApp messages from her admitting that she owes me the amount. I'm currently working in Bahrain and can visit Dubai at any time. This lady has given me three checks for the amount, which I am yet to bounce, as she is constantly telling me that she has no money at the moment. Kindly tell me how should I proceed on the same? Well, you got proof, then you made the transfer. That's that's pretty pretty straightforward. You got WhatsApp messages from her admitting that shows you she owes you the amount. That in of itself is considered as legit acknowledgement of debt. You could use that and and, uh, and go to court with it. Uh, obtain an uh, order on writ petition. It should take maximum seven days for you to get a, a judgment out against uh, that person. And uh, and also she's given three checks. So yeah, that's that's a that's a done case. Very very easy. Okay. So the next question is. Here is my case. I bought a one-bedroom in Ajman with one company five years on five years installment, which will be finished in August 2021. The apartment should be handed over in should have been handed over in January 2018, but it's still incomplete. I've been paying continuously to an escrow account, and now this case is under the Department of Land and Real, Est- Real Estate Regulation, Ajman. Is there any way to get my money back from this contractor? Please advise. <laughs> The short answer is yes. The long answer is it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the law. <laughs> welcome to welcome to real estate law. Yeah. It's not as straightforward as um, you know, as just going to court and and getting a judgment because the way real estate law works in this country is that when you obtain a judgment against the contractor for for uh, you know in in the you know for um, for time delays or whatever it is that they that the uh, the case is about with regards to real estate is that what happens is that the judgment comes out against the contractor and the spe- and the said unit itself or the said unit in the project. So if you if the if the unit is not ready, then you have to find a way in the in the judgment. Once the judgment is issued, you have to find a way to sell off that unit, right? Um, okay. And who's going to buy who's going to buy a unit that is that is off plan for a project is delayed? It takes time, right? If there's no money in the escrow account. That's also a another issue that you have to contend with. So it takes um, it takes years actually to get these things resolved, and a lot of the times, you know, such such projects that are just you know grossly delayed, the contractor eventually you know runs out of cash to complete the project, and then you're stuck with a project that is suspended, and you'll just have to sort of wait for for the for the real estate the uh, for the the rera or the rera najman to find a new contractor to take over the project. It's just, you know, it's heartache. It's tough. <laughs> mm. yeah. 
and wow. and August 2021. Look, if it's going to finish in August 2021, I think just cut your losses. Wait for the for the handover, and then try to sell off the the apartment. That's the easy way out. Yeah, I think that's the pretty straightforward answer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, you can get your money back, but it's going to be a very very long winded and uh, expensive approach, unfortunately. All right. So moving on to our last question for the week. Our apartment has a gym and pool that should be properly maintained according to our lease. Gyms were permitted to open in June, hours opened in September. The pools were permitted to open in August, and hours are still not open. Can I request a rent deduction for these months that I am unable to use apartment facilities that are referenced in my lease? Please let me know. Can I request a rent deduction? So I think obviously due to COVID, building facilities are not, can't be used. And it seemed like it got extended. Oh, but I think this person is saying that the apartment building is not meeting the 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 minimum that they they signed up to this apartment because there is a pool and a gym that should be open by now. Yeah, he's saying our apartment has a gym and a pool. I think he means the building has a gym and a pool. The building, not the yeah. apartment itself. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to assume here that the gym is com- uh, you know it's a community gym. Similarly, the the pool as well. Uh, requesting a rent deduction, you know, that usually doesn't, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a direct uh, reflection of actually what's, what's happening with the, you know, the gyms and the pools, because the landlord can easily say, look, it's not my fault. This is the, 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 the facility management company or the, whoever's managing the, the building, they decided that this is, you know, that these uh, facilities are not going to be open as per COVID and so on. So he could always hide behind mm-hmm. the, you know, the fact that it's not my, not my problem. Um, but you could request a rent, rent deduction on other reasons, not necessarily uh, the apartment, yeah, man, the, the, the building facilities. It's, you know, he's saying apartment facilities, but it's not really apartment. It's a, it's a building facilities. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know why, uh, why it's mentioned in the lease that, that the, the gym and pool. I think that from, from my previous experience with my old apartment, just personally, Usually that's part of the attraction, right? Like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a gym pool and there's a gym and pool that are part of the building and you have access to it, right? For X hours or whatever. So I think part, maybe in this person's case, they made the decision because it has a gym and a pool in the building. Yes. And a lot of, a lot of people do that. This is something that he can, that they can negotiate with the landlord directly. But I don't know. That's the thing. Cause like if, if the landlord is not the building owner as well, because sometimes you have specific landlords for apartments, right? But not the building. So then that's not, that becomes a personal thing with the landlord, right? Yeah. I'm I'm just saying, I'm just saying that this is not a strong negotiating tactic for a reduction of rent. Mm -hmm. If you were to say that, you know, the reduction of rent is, is across the board and the the entire building you're paying, let's say a hundred thousand, everybody else is paying 70,000. And you could easily move upstairs or downstairs to an exact similar unit, um, you know, at any time. You'll do that, and you'll pay the two months penalty just to uh, just to save yourself, in a, you know, um, a few a few thousand bucks here and there. So that's a better negotiating tactic than just saying, you know, the gym is, is not open and, and the pool. I think, yeah, they should they should look uh, for other reasons to reduction to, for the reduction of the rent. Not this. Well, I think that's what we've got for our listeners this week. I hope that we've answered your questions, guys, as clearly as possible. 
If you guys have any more questions, you know the game. Slide in our DMs or drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you, Reem. Much love. You're welcome. <laughs> and thank you guys for being with us this week and tuning into this week's Legal-ish. We will see you guys next week. Have a great week. Peace. Later. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind, hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share it with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holler at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.